in the, before we start, in the most pastoral, church-appropriate way that I can, I just want to say, here we go, brownies, here we go. Um, it's great to be with you all this morning. Uh, my name is Joe Valenti, and I, ha- I have the opportunity to oversee our high school and middle school students, and it, it's, a, it's a joy to be here to share the Lord's Word with you this morning. There is a sign in our kitchen that says, the, the Valenti family, we're here to show the world what God's love is like. And I've been thinking about that statement and my role in leading our family. And here's the thing. That statement is um, not just for me, but it is for our family. It begins with me, right? I want to lead my family, live, act, relate to them and to the world around us in such a way that people would interact, encounter our family, and see the love of God displayed, But it doesn't stop with me, right? It's not just my responsibility. It starts with me, but my hope is that as I lead and guide our family, that those those behaviors, those expectations, those qualities would also be found in my wife and children. In the same way, we're going to talk this morning about church leadership. And there can be a tendency for us to go, oh, that's not about me. But I would propose to you this morning that it is. In Titus, Chad shared last week, the reason why Titus was written, what Paul says is that it was written for the sake of the faith of the elect and their knowledge of the truth. So this letter was not just for Titus. It's not just for church leaders. It is for the body of Christ, And I would encourage you today as we talk about church leadership that you would believe that these qualities don't just start and end with church leadership, that these are the expectations that God would have each of us pursue in our own lives as members of his church. If you have not turned there yet, you can turn to the book of Titus. We're in our second week of the series called We the Church, and last week Chad explained that, um, uh, that this letter was written from Paul to a young pastor named Titus, and that essentially what had happened was Paul and Titus were planting churches, and that Paul had to move on, and so he leaves Titus there to establish the churches. And here's what he says. We're going to start in verse 4. To Titus, my my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. Now, we don't usually use that phrase, to put what remained into order. In the Greek, it just means to set things straight that are out of alignment. The practice of Paul and the apostles was everywhere they went and planted churches, they they would first... Um, they would first put elders into uh, authority, into leadership over the churches. And so that's one of the things that Paul is talking about. The church has not yet been put into order, and the establishing of elders is the first step in that church order. And so he explains 
to Titus, that's why I left you, so that you could put these things straight. And he begins by saying, appoint elders. And so we need to know what he's talking about. What is an elder? There are three words in the Bible. One of them, or actually two of them are used in this text. The first word is just elder that you would see translated in in English as elder. And the Greek is presbyteros. And it just means an older man. An older man that perhaps um, because of his years and wisdom and experience is given some level of leadership or authority. Another word that you'll see here is overseer, and the Greek is episkopos, and it means someone who is responsible for oversight, for care, to make sure that something is done correctly. And then the third word that we see in the New Testament that's not here is poimano, which is pastor, And we use that word a lot, but it's for the sake of clarity this morning, I want to explain how pastor and elder and overseer are used in the the New Testament. All of those words are actually used interchangeably. So you might hear elder, you might hear pastor. We call our paid elders at CVC pastors. But in the New Testament, there's one office, one office of leadership, and it is elder, The work of the elder is to oversee and to pastor. The way that we distinguish here is our unpaid elders are elders, and our paid elders are pastors. But biblically, we're all elders. You guys striking with me? Okay. I just, I want to make that clear because I'm going to use the word elder throughout this morning because that's the word the Bible uses. Um, and the way that I'll distinguish so that you know is our, our paid elders, what you call a pastor, and our unpaid elders, what we call elders. But nonetheless, it's one office. Now, there are other systems of belief that think there are other offices. Um, we don't, um, in, 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 in our church, which is consistent across Baptist churches, we don't believe that, that there's just one office of elder. What does an elder do? Elders are delegated responsibility from the congregation to oversee and care for the church. Just a couple things that the Bible mentions. They guard from doctrinal error. They pray for the sick. They were just doing that. Just walked by a room. All the elders are in a room praying for a gentleman who's sick. They make decisions on financial matters. They lead life groups. They teach. They oversee matters of church discipline. They provide counsel and much more. Elders essentially are responsible to lead oversee, and care for the local church. Now, we practice a form of church organization here that's called elder-led congregationalism. If you'd like to talk about that, I know it sounds lame, but I nerd out on that stuff. So you want to talk about it? Call me. Uh, We'll talk about elder-led congregationalism. But basically what it means is that there's no higher governing body over our church, like a diocese or a synod, or a bishop, or a pope, or anything like that. CVC is led by the members. There's no higher governing body. We look collectively to God's word for his instruction. We write down policy, organizational documents based on God's word, and we make that choice. We vote as to what, how we function. And the way that we function in a, in a large church like this, according to God's word, is we vote elders into, into uh, leadership. So instead of you all having to, having to org- organize the church, we give the elders the responsibility for care, for prayer, 
for oversight, for encouragement, for teaching. They serve as shepherds of our body, both paid and unpaid. And the role is significant. Hebrews 13, 17 tells us that elders are responsible before God for those whom they serve and shepherd. So it is a significant role. Who can be an elder? The Bible is clear that an elder is to be a man. This is not because the Bible is repressive towards women, but because God actually made men and women differently. And throughout uh, the whole of the Bible, we see that God has given the responsibility both in the home and in the church for leadership to men. And we are unapologetic in our stance here at CVC because we believe that's what the Bible says. This is not a matter of empowering men and trying to restrict women, but rather believing the biblical truth that God created men and women differently. And we celebrate that. We do not, however, go as far as there are some churches who significantly restrict the level to which women can serve. We believe that the office of elder is is held exclusively for men, but Paul, even himself, he has, he has women that serve in incredible ways throughout his ministry. And we are thrilled that there are wonderful women who serve in every corner of this church in magnificent ways to the glory of God. But here's the issue. I flew through all that stuff because you can read it yourself. Here's the main issue. Not what an elder is or who can and can't be an elder what kind of church government we practice. All that stuff is good and it's helpful. If you'd like to talk more about it, again, I'm in. But the issue is what kind of man can be an elder? What kind of man can be an elder? What are the expectations on a man that is to lead God's church? And I would propose that those same expectations ought to be on each of us that are in the family. Just like the, 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 the onus is not only on me in our family to display to the world what God's love is like, but it's on our whole family. These are the qualifications for elders, but they are the qualifications for everyone. This is what we should all aspire to as members of God's family. So don't check out and think, oh, this is just for some su- super special office. It's not. This is about what the family of God is to look like. And so I would encourage you, as we go through these qualifications for elders, that you would ask yourself, am I like that? And what might the Holy Spirit need to do in my heart and life that I might be more like an elder, an overseer? Because these things are a reflection of what God is like. It's not just random ideas. These qualities of morality and integrity are what God is like. And therefore, he expects his leaders to be like that and expects his family to be like that as well. We're going to start in verse 6. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and are not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. 
He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Twice in this section, Paul says that the elder is to be above reproach, and this is the overarching quality. All of these other things explain what it means to be above reproach. This is a man who is holy, who seeks the Lord's face, who, this is a man who, would, who you would want to emulate, who, would you, who you would want to be like, who sets an example of Christ-likeness for others. I had a friend of mine who I believe should be considered for eldership here at CBC. And I brought this up to him a while back. And the next time we got together for lunch, I said, hey, have you considered my thoughts about you being an elder? And he pulls out a legal pad and he has the qualifications for elders from Titus written down. And he says, well, if this is what an elder should be, then I'm not ready to be an elder yet. And he said, I'm praying through each one of these items, asking the Lord to search my heart, asking the Lord, am I really like this? Do these things define me? And once I work through all of that, I'll give you an answer as to whether or not you can put me up as a candidate for eldership. That's a man who's seeking to be above reproach. It's the kind of man we need leading our church, indeed, that's the kind of people that all of us should aspire to be. He used to be the husband of one wife. Literally, the Greek is a one-woman man, and I prefer that over a husband of one wife because you can be the husband of one wife and have extramarital affairs and still meet the qualification. That's not what Paul's aiming at. Paul is aiming at a man who so loves and adores his wife that he is faithful and caring to the utmost with her. We need not try to like, okay, well, well, I'm, I'm still the husband of one wife, even though I have all of this sexual sin going on in my life. No, 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 no. That's not what Paul's aiming at here. He's aiming at a man who loves and cares for his wife as Christ loves the church. There are two additional indications that the man would not be divorced in order to be an elder and that the man need not be married. The focus is not on being married, but on the one wife. If the focus was on being married, Paul would have said, well, you have to be married, but he didn't say that. Paul himself was single, Jesus was single, and I look forward to the days when some of our faithful single men will be considered for eldership. His children are to be believers and not open to the charge of debauchery. See, Paul is reminding Titus here, as well as those who would consider leadership in the church, that your family life matters. What are the first two things he mentions in the life of an elder? Your relationship with your wife and your relationship with your children, essentially reminding us or saying, you are not fit to lead God's people if you cannot lead your family first. The way that your relationship with your wife is and the relationship with your children is a reflection of whether or not you are ready to lead God's people. This word here that's translated believer in the ESV is probably better translated faithful 
because an elder doesn't really have control over whether or not his children are believers, whether or not they place their faith in Jesus. They can guide and shepherd their children towards that, but that's all of God's grace. But the overarching, again, idea here is not that your kids would be perfect or that the elder would be perfect, but that the kids of the children of an elder would not be known to be troublemakers or members of the party crowd, disrespectful, disobedient, that they would not have that reputation either in the community or in the church. You know, some kids are more difficult than others, but the call of a father is both to love and to discipline. And Paul says here to Titus that the way that an elder's children act are a reflection of him and his ability to lead. Then there's this list of what an elder must not be. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. And all of those words are actually really straightforward. There's not a whole lot of explanation that I need to give. And so as I considered how to teach this, I actually thought what might be best is to introduce you all to some of our elders, not by parading them up here, but just by name and to attach some of these qualities to them. An elder must not be arrogant, stubborn, unwilling to be challenged. Eric Mendheim is one of our unpaid elders, and he's the opposite of arrogant. He's kind, and he's gracious. I have an opportunity to spend time with Eric and a few others in accountability on Tuesdays. And I look up to Eric in many ways, and it's just always neat to me that he sees me as an equal, that he asks me questions, that he would even consider that I have things to bring to the table. But I so appreciate that about Eric. Every conversation that I've been in with him, he's genuinely interested. He's genuinely kind. He doesn't think of himself as more important than others. An elder is not to be quick-tempered, one who gets angry easily. I've worked with Rick Eimers, one of our paid elders here for 15 years. And honestly, I can't recall him ever just flying off the handle. Now, I'm a pretty passionate guy. And so Rick and I, right, working together, like I get loud, right, I get heated. Like I could, I could scream in Rick's face that he's the worst stupidest, most low-down, terrible person ever. And Rick would go, I'm really sorry that you feel that way. I, I, I really, I really want to know why. Can we talk about that? If those of you who know him, that's just how he is. I'm so grateful to have Rick as one of our paid Elders. He's the opposite of quick-tempered. He is steady and even-tempered, a peacemaker. An elder is not to be a drunkard, literally addicted to wine. And the implication there is, or addicted to anything, any other substance. And I, I, didn't, I decided not to attach any one person to that and just say like, well, good old Chad, he's not a drunkard. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> but but I, I, I will just say that this is the expectation for elders, and I'm, I'm grateful to look across the board as I think of all of those men, not a one of them that I know is addicted to either alcohol or drugs or anything else. And I don't say that lightly because the church in America is riddled not only with sexual sin amongst its leaders, but with abuse of alcohol and drugs. And I'm grateful that God has shown himself faithful in the men of CVC who lead. An elder is not to be violent, a bully, eager to argue and fight. Dwayne Myatt is one of our unpaid elders. And I've been the youth pastor for four of Dwayne's kids. When his oldest, Caleb, came through, I was really young. And the MO for young youth pastors is they do stupid things. And I made plenty of mistakes in leading his children. His children have made plenty of mistakes, and I've been able to be there, to watch, to walk alongside Dwayne and Holly. Things have happened in their family with their children that would make my head pop off. And Dwayne is just so gentle. He's so patient. He's so kind. The polar opposite of violent. And I'm grateful that he's an elder at CVC. An elder is not to be greedy, known to be dishonest, gaining money by dishonest practice. It's really hard sometimes to find an honest mechanic. We have this guy who's both a mechanic and an elder, and his name is Ted Chase. He's the most generous man I know. The most generous man I know, hands down. I can't count the times that Ted has helped. Not only people from CVC, he's just in his community, in the business world, he's known as one who is grossly generous. I, like the money that Ted has saved people in this church from his little shop over there in Bedford is enormous because he's not greedy. Here's a quick story. A couple years ago, Linda and I were working with a family um, from South Sudan that had, been, that had moved here to Cleveland, very poor, and they needed a van for their family. So I, Linda called and said, hey, Ted, we need a van. He goes, you need a what? We need a van. Great, what's your budget? Zero. And he just, just steady. Okay, I'll figure it out. Click. And that's just how, if you've ever been on the phone with him, that's just how he functions. Two weeks later, he calls, hey, I've got your van. Great, how much is it gonna cost? Nothing. What do we need to do? Nothing. Just give me the name, I'll get the title transferred, you can pick it up tomorrow. It's just how he rolls. All the time, gracious, generous, the opposite of greedy. And I'm grateful that Ted is an elder at CVC. Now this list of things that elders must be. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. I'm gonna do a little parenthesis right there. As a steward, as God's steward must be above reproach. Um, 
I would just say, just so that you know this about our elders, some of them are in the room, some of them will be at the next service, some of them will watch online, and as I say their names, they're going to want to die and crawl in a hole. Why? Because that's their character. These are not men who desire to be in the spotlight, who are elders because they think they're important. They genuinely, and I believe this about every single one of them, believe that they are stewards of God's people at CVC. What must they be? Hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. I don't know that I've met more many people that are more hospitable than Pastor Chad. Hospitable defined as friendly and welcoming to strangers and guests. Chad could have a conversation with a rock. He's just... That's the kind of guy he is. It doesn't matter where you are, where you're from, what you look like, how you smell. Like, he is Jesus, a hospitable man. Like, evangelism oozes out of him. No matter where he's at. In our staff meetings, we're always, he's always like, oh, I was at the gym. Oh, I was, you know, getting something at the grocery store. I was in the McDonald's drive-thru. And he's just building, like, yeah, I met this guy. He handed me his fries. And I was like, hey, do you want to come to church? Do you know Jesus? Do you want to, like, he's just always that way. He, he loves meeting new people and building relationships. He is hospitable. He's a great example to us in that way, and I'm grateful for that. An elder is to be a lover of good, one who loves virtue, uprightness, who loves that which God loves. And when I read this, I think of Doug Back. Doug Back is another one of our elders. And the, like, the, the glass could be almost empty, and Doug would celebrate the water that's left in it. He'd be like, hallelujah, we still have some water. It's just, that's the way that he is. Like, the things that God loves where, like, we just heard some great stories about what's happening in Pearl Island. And we go, yeah, that's great. Doug would be like, yes! Yeah, like, he, is, he loves that which is good and holy and godly. Anywhere that he sees it, he celebrates it. I love being around people like that. I'm not like that. I have a hard time, like, celebrating the little things. But Doug is like that. And, man, it's, it's wonderful to spend time with him and to see him just glory in what God delights in. An elder is to be self-controlled, or the Greek here is kind of one who possesses the right perspective, a biblical lens by which you see the world. And I think of Dean Siley, who's one of our paid elders. Dean is so serious about constantly submitting every decision, action, and choice to the instruction of God's word. And that's not popular all the time particularly in our culture, but I see Dean standing firm on God's word, and I'm grateful to have a man like him standing as a watchman on the wall at CVC, always asking that question. Any decision we're making, is this in, in line with God's word? An elder is to be upright and holy, someone that the church can follow as an example in the way that they treat others and in the way that he lives before others. He is just and fair and credible. We have an elder in training, Shola Oshini, who was just playing uh, the drum. The admiration that I have for Shola cannot be put into words. One of the marks, one of the marks of a truly godly, holy man is that they pray. And I remember we had an intern here that was living with Shola and his family. 
And I asked her about halfway through, hey, what have you learned? She goes, oh, I've learned to pray. She said, every night, doesn't matter what we're doing, there's a gathering of the family and we pray until we're done. His children are a beautiful example of children brought up in the counsel and discipline of a man who lives a holy life. I love watching the way that he loves his wife. You should vote yes for him. (laughs) And finally, an elder is to be disciplined. One who has mastery over their impulses. In Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we do not have to be enslaved to sin. We're, we're not enslaved to sin, so we don't have to sin. And the Bible talks about this battle in each moment between the flesh and the Holy Spirit. And one who is disciplined according to the Holy Spirit is one who chooses to follow the nudge, the push from the Holy Spirit in any given moment. And I see that in Brian Howell, one of our paid elders who uh, did announcements earlier. I see it all the time. I see this battle. Sometimes we'll be in meetings and I see this battle in him, right? Of like, how am I going to respond in this moment? And I watch as he yields to the influence of the Holy Spirit. And I'm grateful that Brian is an elder here at CVC. Verse 9 He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. There were not enough qualities here for me to list all of our elders, but I'm grateful for each of them. I think of Chip Bell, who he teaches our fifth graders. Like he's done that for years. Tim Brooks, who's on the missionary core team headed out to Brunswick. Ron Dick, who's a part of leading our generous life ministry. Wonderful men. And here's the thing. Across our paid and unpaid elders, we don't always agree like families fight and that's part of us getting it right. We work together until we get to unity. But I'll tell you what, when it comes to this, that we hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, we are in 100% agreement. Across the board, we love and revere God's word as the ultimate authority in our church. All of our opinions, all of our thoughts about strategy, everything we choose to do is brought into submission to God's word. And again, I would propose to you not to take that lightly. As there are churches not very far all around the city who have chosen to lead their churches based on their opinions or pressure from the culture as opposed to God's word. Let us, not only in our leadership, but all of us continue to submit to God's word as the authority in our lives. The final question, how in the world can elders meet these standards? I would propose to you that it's the same way that we all meet these standards. Paul in Galatians 5 talks about this battle. He says, I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. 
Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I would challenge you, look this week in Galatians 5 and Titus 1 and see what an elder ought not be and what an elder should be and compare them to the lists of the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit. Essentially what Paul is saying is that an elder must not be led by his flesh but must be led by the Holy Spirit towards holiness. And again, this is not merely about the leaders, this is about all of us. See, the aim for an elder is that I would be able to look at my son and say to him, Logan, I want you to watch Mr. Oceany and be just like him because he is like Jesus. Boil it all down. That's what we're aiming at. Or that I would be able to say, hey, Logan, I want you to watch Pastor Chad and be just like him. That's the level of holiness that Pastor Chad should aspire to. But here's the thing. Logan doesn't spend a whole lot of time with Pastor Chad. Logan doesn't spend a whole lot of time with Mr. Oceany. You know who he spends time with? This guy. This text is not about our expectations on other people only. This text is about what we look like as the leaders in our own lives. It is about church leadership. I don't want to veer from that. That's what this text is about. But there are implications far beyond that. Your neighbor may never meet one of our elders. The kid in your history class may never meet one of our elders. That family member may never meet Mr. Myatt. But you know who they will meet? you. And do you meet the qualifications that display to those around you what God is like? Or do you give those people the excuse that so many have had before them? They're just a hypocrite that goes to church on Sunday. I have two action steps for you this week based on this text. One, I want to encourage you to set an alarm however you do it, however you organize your life, whether it's on a, in a planner or on your phone iPad, computer, I want you to set an alarm, a recurring alarm, every single week to pray for the elders of CVC. I want you to pray for them, that they would be like this, that they would lead us in Christ-likeness this way. It is not easy. I'll just go ahead and say that, (laughs) particularly during covid It is not easy to be a leader in not only this church, but any church. 
So would you commit to pray for our elders, both paid and unpaid, and for our staff here at CVC? And then secondly, I want to encourage you to give yourself that test that my friend did. That this week you would set aside time and you would go through each one of these expectations in Titus 1, 5 through 9. And that you would truly ask the Lord, Lord, search my heart. Am I like this? Lord, am I arrogant? If I am, show me, humble me. Make me lowly in spirit like Jesus was. I want to be like you. I want to be someone that others will look to and and see Jesus. See extraordinary humility. Lord, am I quick-tempered? Am I quick to anger? Help me. God, do I love that which is good? Right? I want to challenge you to go through each one of those. And it's really just between you and the Lord, or maybe you'll jump into accountability. That'd be great. Have some conversations with others about where you are and who you are. This is not just about our elders. This is about you. This is about you. And I'll tell you what, friends. With the division that has happened because of not being able to gather together as much, because of politics, because of disagreements about masks, because of other things, one of my main concerns as I serve as a shepherd here is that we're far less concerned about the things of God than we are about the things of this world. So it's time for a personal checkup. Would you go before the Lord this week and ask him, am I like this? Because through all of this stuff happening in this world, Jesus, I want to be light in dark places. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this text. We thank you that these qualities aren't just random, but they display who you are. You are altogether holy and perfect. You're abounding in steadfast love. You're rich in mercy. You don't deal with us according to our sins. You're slow to anger. Oh, we're so grateful that you're like that. And we want to be like that too. Help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.